everybody. Welcome to the Deep Drop. This is a fishing podcast hosted by me, Luke McCredden, and you on the screen there, Adam Ring. That's you. Are you with us? That's are you me. ready? I'm, I'm ready. I was born ready, Luke. And Fantastic. We're back again. We are back Monday again. Night. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I've sort of surprised you tonight because you. I just said, mate, I've got this, and I think mm. I, I can see that you're anxious. I can see that you're a bit concerned. Well, peek behind the curtain for everyone. <laughs> this is not. This is not normal. I don't. I'm sorry. This is not unnormal. I don't organise anything <laughs> for this show. <laughs> I, I log in. I log in when uh, you send me the link to, to log in. Yeah, so, but but you haven't told me what's going on tonight. So, which isn't also not that uncommon because quite often we'll jump on and just start talking about fishing, and it just sort of goes yeah. from there. But, but I but, did. But, yeah, normally I know what guest is coming on. Well, yeah, because it's a guest episode, and we do have we have been doing quite a few of these, and um, I, I th- it sounds like you guys are enjoying them, so that's cool. So I thought I'm just going to go out and organise a guest, and realise that during the week I didn't even tell you who the guest was. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'm just going to keep rolling with that until literally now, where we're about to um, find out. But Adam, how well do you know your NRL? Listen, not great, <laughs> not great. That's but, okay because you. But, know- but en- enough to know some teams. Do you? Okay, name three. Uh, the Stormers, obviously. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Melbourne Storm. Bris- Brisbane Broncos. Yes. Parramatta Eels. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's three. Okay. Name- there's a new. There's a. There's a. There was a new one last season, wasn't there? Got. Who yeah. was the new one? I don't know. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and apologies in advance, uh, NRL fans out there. Uh, but the reason I ask is because it doesn't matter because you know you're fishing and that's all that matters. So um, I'm going to throw to you and say if I said one of the all-time greats in fishing TV, yep, l- longest running, currently still running, you're picking up what I'm putting down? Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. The great ET. The great ET. The great ET. Do you know ET. what? I even know... That ET was like a like an S tier like goat conversation. Yeah, all time player, all timer. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and I'd like to say that I knew I know that because I was I'm a diehard NRL fan, but I'm not. Mm. <laughs> but it doesn't matter so, you, you, right. because he's a name that's synonymous. But for anyone who I don't know, what are we going to say? Um, who's maybe I don't know under. 30 years old, probably would only know him from fishing. And that's fine. Yeah, And that's, that's exactly why I want to talk to him. I, I have had the pleasure of getting to know ET over the last 12, 18 months. And I, it's hard to find anyone who is just as nice and humble, very, very talented angler, uh, but won't spruik it um, and just gets it done. And you know what? The amount of time he, the amount of years he's done this, you, you can't accidentally do that. I think is my point. You, you've got to be. That's doing that's a right. fair call. Yeah, that's a fair call. You can't accidentally do something for as long as what he's been doing it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous. Oh yeah, you'll be right. Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit nervous because he is obviously he's got the NRL yeah accolades, and I'm sure for anyone in New South Wales and Queensland. Yeah. especially that stumbles across this podcast, they're going to be a little bit more excited than what I am. But 
he is a big deal in our game of fishing as well. Been around a long time and done some very special things. So, right. yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, oh. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. Well, let's get into it. Um, I've got him lined up. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Andrew Eddinghausen. Let's do it. Learning on the fly with this bloody this technology thing because don't you're not the first to sort of be screwed around by it, mate. So apologies. It's good to have you on here though. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> my, yeah, my, uh, my I yelled out, but I've got the two grandsons here today, so I yelled out, "Tian, get your ass up here! I need you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm no, it's, it's... up and I'm going out. Oh, hell, yeah, anyway, I got into got into the riverside, so that's all good. Ah, beautiful, and thank you for doing so. This is certainly not an IT podcast, that's for sure. It's very much about <laughs> fishing. Um, no, nah, thanks, mate. Where are you? So you're home at the moment. I, I feel like every time I speak to you, you're in a different location, mate. Yeah, no, I'm at the moment, which is uh, which is really nice. We we had a uh, fantastic December, so we were able to shoot a lot of shows, and um, so it's given me a little bit of space, which is really nice, a bit of breathing space. I, I've probably only got... Um, uh, probably seven shows to do and um, yeah it means I'll be able to focus sort of probably three hours north of Sydney and three hours south and pretty much everything in the middle so it's been yeah it's given me a little bit of extra time for a change. Which seems like a, a, a luxury mate I, and we speak we've had Andrew Hart on the show, Lee Rayner obviously and, and talking to you guys it's I think it's probably a side that people don't realise is that the schedule and the tight time frames you guys work on. It's it's actually nuts when you dive into it, and um, yeah, to, 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 even like listening to you there, it sounds like oh, I've got some breathing room. It's such a luxury. <laughs> the last couple of years with uh, you know with COVID and stuff going through that, where we weren't allowed um, to travel that much, it, it really made it hard. And we sort of work around the show a different species each week, so. You know, once they start shutting Queensland down, you've lost you've lost <laughs> a dozen species straight there. Es- so. Escape with ET became brim, flathead, brim, flathead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, but, mate, it's it. What's crazy, and, and we we're talking just off air before you jumped on, um, is I think if I, I think I'm right in saying you're. The longest running, still currently on air TV fishing TV show in Australia. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, I'm not calling you old. No, I'm definitely. <laughs> 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 oh, but yeah, we've been going, this is our 25th year uh, show. Oh, wow. So uh, yeah, it's a big one. Um, you know, it's exciting to sort of make it past two or three. You know, <laughs> so uh, to, to get yeah. up to 25. Uh, series is is fantastic it's um you know we've had a lot of other filming and stuff done along the way but uh each year we've been able to pump out sort of 24 24 shows and um yeah it's been fantastic to be able to to have the support from companies and sponsors and still people backing us to this day which is good so et you're punching out you're saying 25 shows in a season when you get to the start and you start looking at what the next 25 shows sort of accounts for is that riddled with anxiety or excitement trying to work out what's <laughs> going to happen for 25 episodes after 25 well, years <laughs> well let me tell you it's always exciting okay 
because I haven't got any pressure at all. You know, there hasn't been shoots cancelled because of weather or COVID comes. There's, there's, it's all beautiful. You know, the, the, uh, it's all straight sailing basically from, from when you first start out. But God, she changes. Let me tell you. <laughs> You've got trips booked ahead and, yeah, the weather will be bad and you'll have to wipe that trip out, but you'll have to replace it with something else. And, you know, you one, one minute you're kind of heading sort of north to Brisbane from Sydney uh, and the next minute you're going right south to Melbourne, you know, or, or, or Adelaide or somewhere, you mm. know. Um, you've just got to, yeah, you've got to make these shows happen. And when, when, the, when it all starts pumping, you've got to have show after show after show. It's amazing how quick the turnover is when the edit, edit starts. And, um you know, we're, we're racing racing along right now and I'm doing voiceovers for, I think we've had four shows air uh, or five shows air for the new series and um, I'm already voiceovering uh, episode 13 and 14. So, you know, we're kind of <laughs> long way. Yeah, there's a lot of script writing going on and there's a lot of uh, editing going on. So there's, you know, it is uh, very nerve-wracking, especially before Christmas if I get, uh, normally if I have sort of, or eight shows shot, I'm kind of in a, an okay place. Um, if I'm under that, it's uh, panic stations because you're trying to claw back um, time and you just the time is just the thing that you just don't have enough yeah. of. But, um, yeah, we had a great December this year, so it meant I had pretty much 15 shows sort of almost in the bag, which is double what I'd normally expect. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, there's got to be an element of level head ads. Let me just tell, reminisce uh, going back about almost a year now. I actually had the privilege of being with ET up in Cairns on a, on a particular shoot we were doing. And, and this is why I'll never make it as a TV host. We had the first day, we're offshore filming. We, we had a fair bit riding on this film shoot um, as well as, as, you know, as far as a financial backing. <laughs> And the weather was shit. The fish weren't biting. I went into panic mode. I'm like, we're fucked here. And ET just put his hand on my shoulder and said, we'll be right, mate. <laughs> and we were. <laughs> but yeah, we were right. but I, I, it was the first time I've really felt that, oh, man, like we have to get, we have to get some content here. And, yeah. and it was just ET's level head that made me go, okay, we're, we'll be right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember that. I could see you on you. I could tell you. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty much like, uh, you know, we had three days to film almost like three shows. So yeah. a hell of a lot at stake. So we were um, under the pump. That's yeah. for sure. But I knew that, okay, if we missed that species, we'd definitely, on the turn of the tide, we'd hit the mackerel at a certain spot. And the guys sort of, you know, they're banking on that as well. So they've got, you know, they've probably got another three or four species we could True. go after. So, yeah, I, I wasn't panicking. I've been in that. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you were to look on paper, though, what needs to go right to produce one season, let alone 25 years worth, like what you've done, <laughs> ET, but one season, if way back when, if you know, you're thinking about if this is going to be a viable thing, and you go, okay, well, if I'm going to produce this content, I need to make each episode somewhat different to the next. I've got a country full of insane fishing, but it is fishing. So you can't control the weather. That can turn mid-shoot. Um, you've got fish that can shut off with half a tick of a barometer. You've got <laughs> fish that sometimes won't play the game. You've got other scenarios in the complete opposite direction where the fishing is so insane, 
you'd have to be second guessing yourself going I can get six episodes out of this we just got to make <laughs> we've just got to get the content now <laughs> it it seems like something that would be really easy to talk yourself out of even starting let alone going for 25 years <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot to take in uh, for instance this year even in December, while things were going good, we were sort of battling the cyclones and stuff. So they were kind of moving in and I'm sort of moving further south to try to get away. And I had this, um, I, I, I went into Anaconda up there in uh, in Cairns and I was chatting to one of the staff members there who who's in the fishing. And uh, and we're talking about, you know, I had, I, I caught all these great mangrove jack um, the year before but we didn't do it in a Surtees boat. Now, all these sponsors all come into it. So I'm in another boat. So it means that I've still got to catch mangrove jack in a Surtees boat. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is never going to go to air this stuff. So I've, uh, I've, I've just chatted away to him. And I said, I said, where do you go fishing? He goes, oh, I live a little bit, uh, a couple of hours south of Cairns. And, um, and, we, and I fish down there. I said, you haven't got any mangrove jack down there? And he said, yeah, yeah, well, we, have, we have plenty of mangrove jack. I went, holy moly, that's it, mate. Okay, well, I'm locking in with you. So I, <laughs> I actually came back in, went down and, uh, and, and, and filmed, and we ended up with um, a morning session. We got uh, probably half a dozen really nice jacks in the Surtees boat, so it was all good. And then we ended up after that, we went to another river, the Johnson River, and we ended up with a whole mixed bag of stuff, including uh, uh, Grunter and um, and Barramundi and, and Mangrove Jack as well, which was great. So I'm going, oh, yes, I've got <laughs> And then it was about, uh, we're fishing, and it's about 7 o'clock at night, and I'm talking to my cameraman, and I said, I said, okay, we better pull up stumps now. And then I'm thinking, oh. We're up in Tinaru a week before and we missed out on the barra up there. Now, I still need to nail a barra show and I've got all this great footage from the Kimberley, but I've got no Surtees boats or to go with it. And I thought, okay. We came in at 7 o'clock that night. We said, righto, we're going to set the alarm till 10 and then we'll get up and then we'll drive two and a half hours up to Tinaru Dam, right? So we come in at 7, just virtually crash out, set the alarm, 10 o'clock up we are. We drive two and a half hours up to Tinaru, drop the boat in at Tinaru, and fish from fish from uh, midnight, basically all the way through to dawn, and end up with a meter three barra and a ninety six centimeter barra. So we kind Maybe of so. that sort of you know we started at five that morning and we went right through <laughs> till the next morning. But you've got to do it, you know. It's yeah, all yeah. Like, I ended up nailing two shows out of the Barra, two shows out of the Jacks. So just by doing those few days, it uh, it paid paid big dividends. Yeah, that's a thing. Being flexible, and, or not even flexible, it's just being able to have just, the ability to go. We have, we got to go. Just pro- go yeah, proactive. <laughs> like you haven't yeah. got time to, you haven't got you know times against you the whole time trying to produce, yeah. produce the goods. We're out on the reef and the weather. Just we're about supposed to go back today, and I'm looking at the forecast. It's glass out for the next three days. I'm going. Oh. <laughs> I said, righto, we're just staying out here. So we had a liverboard boat, so we all went back, and we just uh, me and my cameraman virtually just bunked in the in the little Surtees cabin, and uh, and fished our way. Oh, we got great fishing on poppers, and yeah, it was an insane couple of days. And I think we got two or three shows out of just staying there those few extra days. Yeah. But, yeah. It, it's it seems to be, and I know we've spoken about it, Adam, on this show before with with various people. But is that element 
enough to take the enjoyment away a little bit, ET. Like with with the pressure of like that we've just spoken about, and you know having to get it all done and whatever. But then hearing even just the way you speak, then there's still a fair bit of little kid excitement in your voice about actually fishing. Is that are you able to balance that even still twenty five seasons on? Or is there an element that is taken away a little bit of the enjoyment because it is such a, a, a you know a you know that crunch time sort of business aspect? Well, well, often I mean this was a this was a really good year, so I've got a big smile on my face. Not as sweet and rosy as that. Yeah. Is where you know I've ended up, you know, taking a, a little holiday break from Christmas through to New Year, and we've gone up the coast with some friends and mad mad fishing mates, you know. And I wake up every morning and there's no way that I could look at a fishing rod, let alone go out and even join him for fishing. Like I'm that off fishing, it's not funny. Like so I'm almost depressed even at the thought of fishing. So that's how much when things aren't quite going wrong and you've tried you know, you've fished your butt off, but unfortunately the fish just haven't been biting and you and you've 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 made half as many shows as you've gone out and planned for and the pressure's on and you just honestly don't want to, for these 10 days, I'm not looking at a fishing rod ever again. And my mate's out there, you know, he's coming in in the morning, he's got his tailor and stuff off the boat. I go, mate, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but I can't, I actually can't physically go and do it. So, you know, there's years where that goes by where the, the, the pressure's really on and, mm. uh, and you do get burnt out, that's for sure. Doesn't it yeah, show you that... how important, though, ET, that time is to just say, you know what, I love this. Like, I love this sport. I love this hobby. But you can't do it every day of the year, especially yeah. adding the pressure of having to produce content, whether it's television like what you do or even all these budding content creators on social media that are trying to make a name for themselves in this space. It's just not easy. And you have to find a way to stay motivated because... Fishing is the greatest. It can also be the absolute worst. And and it's and and ET Luke and I speak about this. We're, we're quite open with it on uh, on this podcast. It is the best, but it can test you. It can really test you. And it, I think it is important to find a way to reset to keep the enjoyment levels. And uh, you know, I think after twenty five seasons, I think it's safe to say that you've <laughs> you've found that balance. But I will tell you what, mate, it's, there's some tough days in that twenty five years. There's a lot of there, there are a lot of tough days. I mean, the, the the thing is, you know, people people kind of imagine, oh yeah, you're you're an expert, but you, know, you can't be an expert. You know, realistically, if you think about, it, I mean, I've been fortunate. Okay, I've done 25 years of this, so I know most species quite well now. But you know, even 10 years into it, well, you wouldn't have a clue what the third river up. You know, how you catch the brim in there compared to my home my home uh, river where I fish normally every day completely different it's almost like if i try those tactics i'm kind of catch zeros up there so you're mm. always learning and you know we've you know I, I spend a lot of time with different um different gurus of that particular area because they are the guys on the water every day who are doing this stuff and yeah i've caught a thousand jewfish i've caught hundreds of snapper but you know on that particular part of the water in that particular part of australia it's completely different and you find it all the time every river can be a completely different uh different battle to try to to work out and and often when when i'm filming i don't have that time you know i don't have the time Mm. to muck around and kill a day or two while i'm trying to find some fish you know i get those fish 
you know, I need to be heading to the spot with a guy who actually knows what he's doing and then I can focus around him. Mate, this is, you've been doing this for years and, you know, tell us, you know, tell us about this river and how do the brim react or the flathead or, you know, so it's really in a way a lot of the times on a, you know, I can be a talking head where I know exactly the spots and, you know, the, the tides and the whole works. But the majority of time, if I'm trying to find new ground and, and take people on a new adventure to new to new places, well, I'm not going to know where those fish are, you know. Mm. So I, I'm really just, you know, showcasing all of that and showcasing the experts um, and, the, and the gun fishers around the country as well. So I can never claim to be an expert. I know a fair bit, but there's no way in the world I can stand there and say, this is, this is the only way to do this, you know. That's brilliant. There's a common denominator, Adam, with, with some of the, the best anglers, I reckon. And I put you in that rank, ET, because I have fished with you. And I, and I know that you are far uh, more accomplished than most people I've fished with. But the common denominator here with these people, Ads, and I want to throw to you with your thoughts of it they're happy to say they're still learning and open to learn. It, it's exactly why it's the greatest pastime ever because you can't clock it. It, it doesn't no. matter. It, it can be an extreme weather event. It can be uh, just the current pushing the wrong way that can affect a whole season on your favorite species. Mm. We've seen it down here at home, ET. We went through a stage uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago where everything was about Western Port, Mulloway. It's a really tidal, shallow system. Everything was about it. There was a lot of hype. There was people doing it. I was working in the shop at the time and got to know a couple of guys that had put in insane hours. And if anyone was going to be as close to mastering it, it was these guys. And then I caught up with them one weekend at the shop and they just said, everything changed. That we, we don't know where they are. So they, they'd spent years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of catching nothing and taking notes and diaries and this, and they got it to a point where they were getting multiple fish. They, they could look at the moon and the weather and the, the tides, and they had, they had it there. And for whatever reason, it changed. You can't clock it. And those that claim they do are going to get humbled at some point. <laughs> but the ones that claim to be experts are always the miserable ones. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no enjoyment anymore. They think no. they've got it all. Yeah, well, often you know, I, I find that, you know, they really know that system so well and, and good on them. But, you know, like, okay, you've caught those fish in that system and you've shown me how to do it. Thank you so much. But that's their system. That's it. Once you move them out, either way. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, don't like that's it. But that's why it's so good. That's why fishing is just so good because there is just so much to it and so many variables and so many places that you've, if all, in all your travels, there's probably places, there's probably millions of places you still haven't actually touched or looked at, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and that's why I think we're very fortunate uh, in this country um, to have that, to have that ability to go on, you know, however old you are, but there's still systems I haven't touched or fished or parts of the ocean I haven't put the boat in or, you know, which is just so good. Oh, yeah. In many cases, you can, you know, you can spend a lifetime in one particular system and, and still not quite get it, you know. Still yeah. every, every week you're learning new stuff and, you know, and that's just in one system. And, you know, we're, we're blessed in, a, in Australia mm. with, you know, the variety of species and just the country, the terrain, you know, the coastal waters, uh, the big rivers, you know, the, the Murray and, you know, when you look around that huge, the Kimberley and, and, and North, you know, North Queensland and Darwin and, 
it's just insane. You know, we live in the, I think, the greatest fishing country on the planet. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, you know, we are just so, so blessed, you know, to have all of that um, just for us. And it, and it really is a, a, a free thing for everybody to do. And, you know, I've been on trips where, you know, the guy opposite me at the table is 82, 83 years old, you know, and he's, yeah. he's, you know, he's catching barra up in the territory. And, wow, so good. he goes to bed at 7.30 at night so he can get up in the morning. <laughs> and you know, 6 a.m. So he's ready to go for his day. And, you know, he, he in his 80s and he's still going strong. I think, gosh, I want to be like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the end game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, mate, we, it'd be crazy of us not to, uh, to chat about your life before fishing because I think, um, and it's fair to say, our analytics sort of suggest that the majority of our listeners are sort of south of the Victoria, New South Wales border. Um, <laughs> so... I would. I, what I want to know, and, and I don't even think we've ever, I've ever spoken to you about this, is your illustrious career in the NRL, which was amazing, by the way. So anyone who's an AFL nut who doesn't necessarily have a long history in following the NRL, please jump online and not just look at ET's fishing stuff. Have a look at his history in the in the in the sporting world because it's unbelievable, by the way. Um, we went on actually just sidetracked from that. We did go on this Cairns trip I was talking about before, Adam, and there were. Including ET, there were five NRL sort of superstars of the game. You know what I mean, like legends of the game type thing. And here I am going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all these NRL fans are losing their minds because they're you know these heroes, and I'm going, oh yeah, <laughs> they like fishing. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> the transition, um, I suppose, is what I wanted to talk about because it's it's something that obviously that sport was obviously your life and, and such a major part of your life. How do, how does a superstar of a, of a, of a sport like rugby league go, I'm just going to go start fishing for a living and film it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was, um, I had a lot of probably my last, uh, probably eight, eight years of playing, um, the NRL ended up, my options were okay. I could, I, when I retire, I could go in and do uh, sports commentary. You know, I could go there and be one of the guys, one of the the expert guys standing there. You know, big smiles on my face and talking <laughs> about game and yada yada yada. But I'd played um, eighteen seasons, and I was sort of, uh, yeah, I'd got to that stage where I really needed a change. You know, I was sort of like, um, I was sort of a bit burnt out, I, I guess, and. I was thinking, well, you know, the other thing I love in life is for fishing. And I was very fortunate. The year before I, uh, I retired, um, I, was, I went on a trip up to the Northern Territory, and that was with Plugger, a locket. So, you know, great AFL player. We, hey, we know, we know him, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Rex, Rex Hunt. And so Rexy's invited myself and Plugger on this week trip up to the up to the Northern Territory, and uh, we have had the best time, right? We're, we're lazing in the pool after a great day of fishing, and uh, you know me, Plugger, and Rexy, and Rexy goes, "Well, Et, how do you like my office?" And, <laughs> and I just went, "Rexy, mate, this is what I want to do." He said, "You do it, son. You do it." And so, uh, yeah, so that was really set me on my path. And my last year of rugby league, which was in 2000, um, I thought, right, I'm going to retire at the end of this year. My contract, it was a five-year contract. It was up at the end of the year. It was all the timing was perfect. 
And I said, right, I'm going to have to get this show up because I want to be able to roll straight into it. I don't want to be, you know, sitting around at the end of a footy career and not have anything to do. So in my last uh, off-season, I basically uh, set up a production team and and um, and got the whole ball rolling. And we ended up shooting 20, 22 shows that season. So every Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays were my only day off training. So I'd, I'd fly out after training on Tuesday and to, to wherever I ended up, might have been Brizzy or further north, and we drove and we went fishing and we created these shows. We ended up that year having a fair bit of luck and we got 22 shows shot. So, um, and at that stage, uh, it was um, Fox Fox 8, it was, who took us, took Fox us, eight. Yep. and Fox, Fox Hill had just launched as well. And so they, they were the first people I sort of spoke to and they, they said, yeah, Friday night at 7.30. It was like... You know, oh. prime time. Stop it. <laughs> so we started off and, um, yeah, just Channel 9 bought it from there and at the end of that year. And then I rolled on for the next uh, eight years with Channel 9. And then after that, uh, been with Channel 10 for the last oh, umpteen years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first season you filmed, you were playing still? Yeah, I was still playing. So oh, right. <laughs> I, was, I was training Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays off, Thursday, Friday, fly out or, or play locally um, at Shark Park. So, yeah, we it was a very busy year, let me tell you. And it was the last year of my footy, so we had like big, yeah, big uh, farewell sort of um, functions. And, yeah, it was a pretty big year that last. <laughs> Far out. <laughs> I reckon. That's incredible. So I'm just doing the math. Uh, so you... Your fishing TV career has now, well, for it has for a few years, outlasted your your footy playing career. Yeah, that's right. I ended up playing <laughs> eighteen years with the Sharks. I had two years um, with an English side, um, Leeds, and uh, so Leeds over in England. Um, when I was uh, in my, well, I just turned twenty. Um, they asked me if I'd come across, and that, at that time, England, their season um, over there was our um, was our summer. So they ended up, um, you know, I basically had finished the last game for the Sharkies. I'd hop on the plane on, on Wednesday, fly over, and I'd be playing for Leeds on the Sunday. I'd play <laughs> over there, then I'd do exactly the same. I'd jump on the plane, and the next weekend I'd play the full season out of for the Sharks. So I did that for a couple of years. So I ended up... Uh, yeah, playing about forty odd games over there for uh, for Leeds and had had a fantastic time. You know, it was a it was a yeah very different whole different experience that one. But that was in my early days when I was uh, twenty twenty one. Jeez, yeah, that's a bit happening. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to know: was there a point where you have you noticed there was a point where you started getting recognised for fishing over footy? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean. Those first few years, every time I travelled down to Victoria to do some shows, <laughs> building site or whatever, because you've got to remember back in those days, there was only there was only uh, Rexy on Channel Seven and me on Channel Nine. We're on at the same time. Rex had called me straight after, and he go, "Mate, great show tonight." And all that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really yeah friendly relationship, but there was only the four channels, you know, yeah. and. So- on for probably 10 years there was just channel 7 and channel 9 and we just battled away against each other and just had some fun but um yeah i'd end up so so we had big audiences back then as well you know like we had um you know audience probably 400,000 plus viewers every every week so which was quite a quite a lot for a saturday afternoon at five o'clock mm. and ended up um 
yeah, you know, I'd go down there and you'd go past the building site and the blokes would be, hey, that's that fishing bloke, you know. (laughs) (laughs) For a boot, you know, like, so, yeah. You'd go down there and everybody knew me from my fishing because it was so entrenched down there. And, and you know, Victorians love their fishing. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's an amazing um, fishery you have down there, especially uh, your snapper fishery and, your, you know, King George and, you know, but your snapper by far. I mean, I've been down there on, in November and I've been at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm in an hour queue to the yeah. boat ramp. Oh, yeah, the old snapper <laughs> boat ramp debacle. Don't you worry about that. We've got that sussed down here. <laughs> Mate, yeah. yeah. Marlin up the coast, so they're all, you know, I've got mates from down there, they're going, oh, you're going to come and join us in March, or, you know, you're going to, April, we'll be up there for sure, and we'll be getting stuck into the stripies. So, you know, I'm always, uh, always liaising with a lot of good mates I've got down in Victoria as well. The snapper fishery thing's funny. I, I always, and I want to put in more time in New South Wales, particularly Oh, I suppose Sydney, but even for, correct me if I'm wrong, but that mid-north coast I think has got a good snapper fishery too through typically our winter months, I think. like it's, But it's such a different, and Ads, we've spoken about this, it's yeah. such a different fishing, well, it's a whole, it almost seems like a whole different fishery. Oh, it's nothing not, like Caulfield Bay. And not just, no, and not just talking about the boat ramps either. <laughs> <laughs> That's one part of it. Um, but like it's, it's, is it because, do you think, ET, with that sort of, the more I'll call it the more ocean fishing, you know, the more blue water that the the heavier reef and the you know fishing bombies and that sort of thing is that basically what you what it is? Is that the biggest difference, like the ground you're fishing? Yeah, I mean we're very fortunate. New South Wales got some great ground around Sydney. Mm. Very tough, you know, the population's so big, um, it just gets hammered, and then you've had professionals in there over many years, so. You know, you get the odd fish, a 70-centimetre fish, and you're yahooing, you know, like um, mm. uh, in and around Sydney. But um, once you push a few hours south either, or north either side, then it really opens up another whole um, echelon of fishing, especially the reef systems, the inshore reefs. I mean, that's my sort of one of my favourite ways to go fishing is casting soft plastics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly, I get so excited about that before I, I head off. I actually had to do it in a kayak last week. So I, I did a, a kayak segment in a uh, yeah, chase and snapper down at um, Bateman's Bay. So Bateman's Bay is exactly three hours from my place. And yep. grounds down there, there are a lot of um, uh, grounds you're not allowed to fish down there. So green zone, mm. but there is some really produ- productive ground. And uh, and pretty much I just take, you know, as many soft plastics as I can get and uh, and away I go and I'm often fishing water between say or even down to three meters you know so that's three meters out to say 30 meters is a really good zone and you can so many reef systems so much Mm. bait's insane like um you know and you can't even catch marlin this time of year along those those same sort of grounds but um yeah no really it's it's a, a real fun way to go fishing, and I know that you know I've done I've done Port Phillip many times. I actually have never really soft plastic Port Phillip, but I've done a lot of bait fishing, you know, with your whiting and your and yeah, the, you know, all your top baits because I've had some great guys who I've been able to do it with, you know, um, yeah. over the years, and you know, it's it's terrific to go to go with those people who just have that passion, and the, you know, they they're so excited, and they've been doing it since they were you know, six years old with their dads, you know, so it's yeah. a 
you know, I really do love it. And um, but the ground though, like with the soft plastic fishing, it's it's. I just look at it, and again, maybe it's because we've sort of we you know we've grown up on in the bay here in Port Phillip Bay, but yeah, it's not as conducive to soft plastic fishing. And you're getting like we've done a lot of it, Adam and I. We've done a lot of it together over the years as well, and it certainly works. But when you when you know you're out over some reef, you know you you've got some really good tidal flow and ocean currents and all this sort of thing, you just go. This makes sense yeah. to be chucking big plastics around <laughs> yeah, with yeah. every chance of getting a meter kingy bycatch. You know, oh, like it, that, it's, yeah. it's, it's all that. Yeah, you get your pearl perch and a whole range yeah. of fully matched high water and, and they all fight hard. So, you know, mm. and getting a really good snapper out of the kelp, you know, on the kelp beds, you find the kelp beds and, you know, you're casting your, your lure and it's just drifting down and next minute, whack. And uh, we often get big long-tail tuna too, so that's another real weapon of a fish. You know, they, yeah. they'll, they'll be like 15 to 20 kilo, and if you you have to chase them in the boat, there's no way in the world <laughs> you will you'll be spooled in seconds on a, on a thousand or a four thousand reel. But oh, the feeling when you get one of those big those big girls to the boat, you know, in real shallow water, it's uh, it's, a, it's such excitement. Yeah. The to- the, I was thinking about Bateman's Bay the other day. We've done a bit of it um, over the years as well, and and I know there is plenty of marine park and whatever. But even visually, you know, with the Tollgate Islands and then a couple of little smaller, you know, bombies and islands and stuff as you go along, there's nothing that suggests like it. it you look at it and you go, "This is fishy. I'm going to get. I'm going to have a good day." Yeah. You know, and, and if you get it, if all the you know all the all the tides and whatever uh, are, are lined up, like yeah, you can have unbelievable sessions there and. We've quite literally, like you were saying, like whether it's over the kelp or over some heavy reef, you, it's it's a toss of the coin whether you're going to land a big angry kingy or a real big snapper. And then if you look behind you, there's probably a, a mako swimming up as well, hanging around. And and if you look out on you know not too distant or a bit far away, you've probably got some marlin free jumping. And you just go, why aren't I living here? Yeah, <laughs> cool, cool. Uh... You know, just to travel a few hours and to, to have that sort of stuff on tap is really good. A few hours north, you get up to Crowdy Head and you pass Port Stevens, and Port Stevens is amazing snapper ground mm. as well as obviously marlin. I think last year um, the the marlin season was just insane. Um, you know, one of the skippers up there who I talked to yesterday said he had about 130 marlin he'd already already uh, tagged by now. Um, just insane. He actually just fell short of 300 marlin for the season. Now that is in That's incredible. Only for a few months, you know. That's that's nuts. That's insane. Yeah. So uh, you know, is all- that a mix of is that a mix of marlin species, et, or is that mainly stripes and blacks? Yeah, mainly when you when you have those sessions like that, mainly um, on the inshore grounds. So they're fishing sort of grounds, no no greater than probably 50, 60 meters, and uh, a lot of it is sort of you know. 25 to, to 35, 40 metre stuff, you know, so pretty yeah, sure wow. you can be casting for snapper on those same grounds. Don't get that in Port Phillip Bay, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, uh, I thought that's what garfish yeah. were. <laughs> yeah, big long, no? oh. long noses. Yeah. Yeah. Changes, like we just said, I called him yesterday and uh, he caught about 12 fish for the season so far. So he was about 100 and whatever short of where he was last year. So it just shows mm. massive changes happen from year to year. And uh, the skippers who are very good still are able to work them out and they'll you know, head out wider and get the stripes or they'll just chase blues. Um, you know, But 
you know, those little blacks when they do run down the coast, it's uh, it's pretty electrifying stuff. That's awesome. That's really cool. I know this might be a bit cliche, but curious to know, given that you're, you know, you've travelled, you know, for the best part of um, 25 years fishing and filming and whatnot, and you mentioned changes. Obviously, things can change overnight, week to week, day to day, whatever. Can you pinpoint, or is there anything that sticks in your mind as the biggest change in it? In and let's let's just call let's just talk about the eastern seaboard, for example, in that fishery, whether it be New South Wales or Queensland. I know that's sort of you spend a fair chunk of your time locally and up in Queensland too. Is there anything that sticks out to you over your journey that's really changed, for better or worse? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely some some major changes over the over those years. Um, you know, I've always been into my fishing, so even while I was playing footy every Wednesday I had off, I was fishing somewhere, <laughs> you know. At the end of the year, I'd always go on a, a really cool trip somewhere up north and uh, and have a ball. But over the years, when you when you look about fish species, um, you know, I can remember times where, you know, yellowfin were zeros. You didn't even bother going fishing for yellowfin. Bluefin, not a chance in the world you in New South Wales you were going to catch a bluefin, you know. Like it was – they were miracle species there for a while. But back in the 70s and, and earlier, I talked to some of the old guys and they, they're saying you know, on some of the, the, the reefs that you'd fish for, for snapper, you'd have 70, 80 kilo yellowfin cruising around a, a 50 metre reef, you know, like just, just in acres of them. So the changes, um, and I think fisheries have really done their work incredibly well. Like I, you know, I, I, I look at the stuff that, um, you know, all the fish that guys are catching these days, you know, everyone's got a chance of catching yellowfin and everyone's got a chance of catching bluefin. Like, you know, honestly, not that long ago, probably just in those years when I first started, we didn't even bother with those species because they just didn't arrive here because they were already fished out. Mm. So I think he's mm, done a magnificent job to uh, turn all that around. I know on some of the big trawlers and stuff like that, as soon as the... As soon as uh, the, the, the nets are rolled out, all the cameras come on on every angle. So basically fisheries at home are sitting there watching exactly what's happening on that boat. And so every fish that actually comes in when that net comes in uh, has got to be exactly measured, weighed, the whole works because the fisheries guys are watching every single stage. And even to the point where the f- fisheries know the water temperature in that one big lot of area and it could be it could be 20 or 30 kilometers of zone where they say okay professional fishermen you're not allowed to fish in there okay we're we're stopping you from fishing in this area um whilst these fish are spawning so basically you're getting this maximum sort of uh spawn and the potential growth and and everybody stopped from fishing sort of in this or hammering that one particular area um uh, and fisheries open it back up again, and then it just all. So can so can uh, they make that call in real time? Like if they if they know that the yep. fish have moved into a particular area, spawning or whatever, they can actually say, right, as of now, no go. That's it. That's they can pretty do cool. All of that. That's actually it, incredible. It's amazing things that are actually being done that we don't really, you know, we're not tapped in to know yeah. about, and 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 these are the reasons why these species are coming back why bluefin are coming back in such numbers and and the same with yellowfin like you know a couple of years ago covid was on unfortunately but there were there were fish off the cliffs of jarvis bay 
and they were all 60, 80 kilo fish. And I went down there and there were acres of them. Everywhere you looked, there were fish that size and you could have caught them off the cliffs. They were that, they were that close in and they were just everywhere. And you're talking thousands of fish and thousands of big fish and, and big breed. It's a yellowfin... I remember my very early days, the yellowfin seasons up through Bermagui and places like that, they were a spectacle. People, even from Victoria, they put those dates away. They were going to chase yellowfin. And that sort of, that changed. The yellowfin fishing got quite hard. Uh, it could be for numerous reasons, um, probably more cyclical than, than anything, but if yellowfin make a comeback, and they will, especially through whether that be current changes, whether that be through bait, whether that's through good regulatory practices, through fisheries like what's happening with the commercial boats and bits and pieces. I think if yellowfin hit their straps again, that could flip wreck fishing on its head again. I think that's a species that's so unbelievably iconic and celebrated mm. If we got a few bumper species and, and say yellowfin, oh, and if yeah, that's right. And if yellowfin made a resurgence, I think it would almost there would be like a big reset button around game fishing in Australia because I think they're just a species that people love. Even those that, and, I, and I'm not a game fisherman. I've done a handful of game fishing expeditions throughout my, my entire life. I I don't wouldn't claim I know anything about it. There's something about a yellowfin that's special. Mm. I can't explain it. I've seen plenty of bluefin. I know the marlin thing's been going. We've had some really good seasons lately. But yellowfin's something different. Yeah, they're... they're <laughs> I mean, the, the guys are even catching them now on stick baits oh. and poppers. and all, You know, so they're there in numbers. <laughs> What's really changed... Another big change is obviously tech, technology has changed. Yeah. yeah. And um, and and with the technology now we have uh, like rip charts. Yes. So this is major change. This is change where only the professionals bought that stuff years yeah. ago and they had them on crawlers. Now it's it's available to everybody in the public, and you can basically, if you end up knowing how to read the maps properly. And know exactly where those, uh, you know, those prime spots where the upwellings are bringing um, all that beautiful food right to the surface and starting the food chain right in that particular X goes the magic spot. Then all you do is head out in the morning, you go, right, that's the ground, and you head exactly to that mark and start fishing that area. And that's where the, the bait's going to be, and that's where the predators are going to be. Now, this is something over the last probably... Maybe six or seven years, it's really now um, at a peak and everybody yeah. who goes game fishing uses it, um, you know, without fail. And it's and it's come along so quickly too. And I was only talking to someone the other day, sort of reminiscing about, you know, when you used to head offshore, you'd call into the Coast Guard and you'd get a weather report from them and you'd, you'd get, con you know, regular updates on wind forecasts and all that sort of thing. Well, it's all on your phone now. <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah. really that that easy for and quick for that sort of thing so whether it be yeah um surface charts and you know all sorts of you know guides like that you can 
it's probably saving people a lot of money in fuel because they can go, this is where we're going. We're not going to drive around for eight hours before we get a rough idea of what's happening, um, which is good, but it's still, you know, it's still, you still have to work pretty hard for them. Yeah, but you're still going to those prime yeah. areas where, you know, you're not sort of just picking anywhere on the, in the ocean. It's such a mighty big ocean. You're actually pinpointing areas where it, they should yeah. be. And so... And often if you've got a network of guys who are out there fishing, you know, different days, they'll fill you in on where they've been biting as well. And it gives you a pretty good picture these days. You can, yeah, you can almost, uh, not, I don't like the word guarantee. Oh. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a swear <laughs> word in fishing. <laughs> oh, mate, you haven't fished long enough, obviously. <laughs> enough, but, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's a... All that stuff just builds into, I guess, you know, your preparation when you're going out. And you are. You're spending a lot of money on fuel. Um, you know, you don't want to go out there and just get beat up out there in the in the, in the the swell all day without uh, returning a fish. So, you know, it does give you a, a much better chance. It was funny because the, the points, the first sort of place you'd go when you head offshore or that you had in your sights was the shelf. Yeah, we're going offshore. We're going to the shelf. Unless there was a, you know, there's always a couple of standout pinnacles that were on a map chart or something that you could see. But for the most part, it was like, let's go to the shelf and then work out what we're doing. <laughs> but no, it's exactly. Be someone else hooked up to something. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, we. I, I want to get. I, I do want to get an opinion. Yeah, you can go into as much detail as you want or as little detail as you want. But it is something we've brought up on the show quite a bit. Have you have you gone down the path of live scope or live to, you know whatever we're calling it, Adam? These days, <laughs> have, have you gone down that path, ET? Um, I have to an extent in on different species for sure. I have. Um, I had a magnificent experience uh, um, on Lake Mawala. Um, oh, probably when it first came out a couple of years ago. I met. Um, it was a funny experience. I was fishing the, fishing a a, a a comp in one of the dams down there, chasing Murray cod, but didn't landed a few uh, yellow belly. That was about <laughs> it. I'm, I'm driving along, and I I was um, I, I noticed there was a boat which had mull whaler uh, Murray cod on the side, and I thought, oh, he must be a, like a, a a charter operator, you know. So I've zoomed over there, and I got up a conversation as you do, and. And started chatting to him about it, and I said, "Oh, you've got the you've got the live scope on," and he said, "Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's it's unreal, you know. You should you should uh, come down and have a go with me." So I ended up coming down, and I fished with this bloke out on um, on the dam, and it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever actually had because we went went on the dam at dark, and so it's completely black, and I'm standing there with this big rod with this monster big <laughs> uh, plastic lure on the end. And I'm just standing there. And we're looking at this huge screen, and and um, we're we're motor, motoring along with the the um, you know the electric, and, and then he, then we pointed out, oh look at that, and we wa- watch this massive big meter uh, Murray cod just cruising, swimming across the screen. I'm going, oh my god. Anyway, he goes, oh no, we'll have to follow it. So we followed it about a hundred meters, and we and we're getting right up close, and we're looking at it, and he goes, oh yeah, no. Now's the time. It's about 20 metres exactly there. So I'm lining everything up, cast it out. We watch the lure drop down and then I engage it just before it hits the bottom and I'm winding it back 
and I'm looking at this fish and the lures, I'm watching the lure as well come along and I just I lift it up above his head. Now I lift it up above his head, a couple more winds and the fish turns and he follows me right up and I go, he's going to hit it right, bang, right there. And then I hooked up right beside the boat. These things tore off and ended up a metre ten. Oh, um, oh. God, yeah. I'm going, how good's this, you know? Yeah. I ended up with six, six fish with them. Um, all doing the same thing. I got a, a 99, um, I think a metre three. They were, the, they were my biggest ones. And, and I'm thinking, this is incredible. Like, if you went out with any other device, like your normal sonar, there's no chance in the way you'd be able to hunt a fish like the way we hunted it's these It's like stalking, cod. isn't it? It's like go, go yeah, almost a, right. a hunting method. But, so, like, and I know no, it's, it's a, you, you know, it's a while back or whenever you did it, but would you say... You know, you, half a dozen fish. You probably only put in a dozen casts. Like compared to if you were just out there, either with just a what is now just a basic sounder, uh, <laughs> but like where you'd just be banging a few. Oh, God knows how many hundred yeah, casts. Hundreds. Yeah. A normal scenario where we would have done maybe oh yeah twelve casts. It's cr- it's crazy. Uh, you know that type of thing is insane. Like. You virtually, when the fish has sort of stopped, and you've all got a, you've got a clean, um, a clean line. You virtually shoot it out past him, and then work it right back past his head, and you're watching it all on the screen. It's just yeah. like a, a PlayStation or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not real, but the, the technology is just going to keep on improving, and what we've got now is amazing. Mm. But can you imagine be mm. there in ten oh, years? That's- I was just about to say, we're only in, what, version one, maybe two <laughs> of Active Target and Live Scope. Like, it's only, it's a baby compared to, and it'll evolve quickly. It's not going to be a 10-year process. In three years' time, two years' time, it'll be completely different. Yeah. I, I, uh, I fished in the Territory um, last April, and um, and we were, we fished, fishing this point, and this boat's come down, there's about... Uh, I don't know, five young guys who are all sort of around that 20-year-old, you know, and they've got this groovy boat and they've parked right on this point. They're just, they're looking, they're looking down. I'm going, oh, they've definitely got, you know, they've got live scope or they've got something. Anyway, I'm watching them and next minute they pull up at this spot down there and they're watching this, they're watching the sounders and they had must have had two or three sounders on there and they're casting and they're virtually casting out. It was 12 metres of water because we were just up from it. And they were just working that that lure so it only stayed in the top two metres of the water. So the fish were coming through, massive fish, and they were just coming on this incoming tide. And there was one fish after the next. But they were all, if you fished down deep, you were catching nothing. If you fished in that top two metres, these big soft plastics were just getting hammered. And these guys, they must have hooked over 20 fish while we were there. And the fish were between 80 and say a metre 15, sure. and just that big fish, like monsters just going crazy, and they're hooking them right at the boat. Yeah. Well, this is all just totally due to that technology. Yep. There's no way they would have even attempted to fish that way if they didn't know that in that top two metres of water, all the fish are coming in, and they're float, floating in. And we ended up doing it two days later, and we ended up with about seven or eight fish, but real big fish, 90s, meters, like, yeah. See, just, this, uh, this is where, because that, that whole basis around the technology has been quite controversial. Yeah. That's one of the huge success stories. One of the knocks on it is that 
people aren't learning anything anymore. They're just watching a screen. Well, I'm sorry. In that situation, everybody doing it or everyone there at the time just learned something. Mm. Yeah. We, we get obsessed as fishermen with fishing on the bottom. We just assume the fish are going to be there. That's where, And it makes sense. That's where the most structure is. That's where the cover is. Yep. But for whatever reason, these fish don't play by the rules or there's rules that we just haven't discovered yet. And yep. when you've got technology telling you things like that, it's another. Even if you, even if you were to never fish with mm. with active target or live scope again, you've just it's going to be in the brain. Yeah. All right, why don't we spend a couple of hours on the tide just fishing the top two meters? Yep. So, so then, yep. so and then, my question that would yeah. go virtually if you throw it out, they're just diving down. They're they're a heavy, so you cast out as soon as they hit the water, you start winding. So you know, in twelve meters of water, and they're just bang, and they're hooking to these monster fish, jumping all over the place, banging into the boat. They're almost <laughs> like they're pulling them on board, and the fish doesn't even know it's hooked yet. <laughs> That's how close to the boat they were hooking these things. Like yeah. it was the boat. The boat was no disturbance to these fish coming in, uh, and those those lures going in front of their their faces. I think the only problem with this is going to be there's a couple of couple of guys and a couple of teams, one team from Queensland and one guy's up in the in the territory, and they're winning. They're like first and second in these tournaments up there now, and they're probably four thousand points ahead of third place. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's first and second, and then the others are impossible out of reach. It's like yeah, you know, you'd never get that score. So they're zooming down the river, virtually. Coming up onto a snag, checking it out. No, nothing on it. Go over this side. Oh, there's a big fish there. Yep, let's have a go. Yep, he's active. Yep, there he is. There he is. Yep, got him. Okay, boom, <laughs> zoop off down the river. They're not hanging on the same trolling run 500 times, yeah. you know, trying yeah. to yeah. fish. They're actually on the move, and they're not stopping. They're virtually they're stopping for a minute or two just to check out where the fish are on these snags. No, not there. Go to the next one. And a different whole ball game the way they're fishing. And I think if if things do come, uh, you know, to to a to a sort of a head, I think that that sort of they won't be able to fish that way in these tournaments because it's just such an advantage. It's yeah. it's ridiculous yeah. advantage. So how do you yeah. feel, Et, about? And I'm I'm not trying to sound like a Debbie Downer on this, but you know, as someone who's done it for a while, and you've gone, you you've started your fishing where technology was. There wasn't much, and and it's come to where it is now. Do you think it takes away a bit of the learning process? You know, if you're if you're sort of starting out in the in this sort of era, let's call it, and you're and you've you've started with the technology that's already available. I always sort of refer to there's an element of fishing that we probably all did when we were younger, which is that grassroots sort of fishing. You know, where you really, you know, you you you're jetty rats and you're just just doing what you can to to sort of wet a line and you kind of learning the hard way so to speak now i'm not suggesting you know the active target and live scope's not hard like it still involves a lot of skill and obviously and it's an investment as well but do you think there's an element of it that takes a little bit away from the you know what you know that that sort of groundwork and the dirty work to get to where you need to be i I think we're sort of fortunate really to have I've had to do all of that groundwork over the years because I think you understand the systems a lot better. Mm. Um, you know, you kind of, you know, you know that you're looking for bait, you're looking for structure, you know, you're looking for tide changes, you're looking for, 
you know, the barometric pressure changing at different stages and, oh, gosh, if I'm there in this hour and a half, I've got a good window of catching fish. I think all of those learned things that we've had to go through all those years, I think they're incredibly valuable and, and something that, um, you know, is, is, is great to have as, as, your, as your background and your backup mm. for all the things you're going to be doing because virtually everything revolves around all of those, still those basic structures. And, um, and even with, say, I was saying then, you know, it was the incoming tide that, uh, that these guys were catching those fish on. Um, you know, at the outgoing tide, where are they going to, you know, they're going to have to learn different skills. You know, there's still a lot of skills that are going to have to be learnt to yeah. um, be able to catch fish around the clock. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have our window, they catch all those fish. What do they do now? You know, to, to me, I go fishing because I love being in the outdoors and, yeah. you know, I love all the old swimming past and the big eagles coming. And, yeah. You know, all that stuff I'm... I'm looking around, you know, but in the future, I'm sure I'll look down at these yeah. screens a fair bit, oh, but, but I'm still looking around. Yeah, you know? that's it. Yeah, by, that's right. by the way, guys, the point I raise may be a really good point or I might just sound real fucking old. So, yes. <laughs> so either way. <laughs> There's going to be some, you know, with with all the live target stuff though. There's going to be some brilliant footage of boats running into each other because <laughs> oh. no one's looking up anymore. They're only, uh, they're only looking down. Yeah, <laughs> we need. Yeah, no, it's quite spooky actually. <laughs> dash cam, dash cams for boats, please. Um, <laughs> mate, et, thank you so much for for coming on the deep drop, mate. It's been a blast. Uh, really appreciate your time, and I know you've, you're a very very busy individual, mate. So we. Absolutely love the fact that you've given up your time to, to jump on and have a chat and uh, very much looking forward to catching up with you soon and uh, hopefully uh, you're getting out and amongst some fish in the next couple of days. Yep, uh, I've got a, what, uh, it's get, the sun's getting later at the moment, which is great, so I've only got a, a 6am start in the morning on the Georges <laughs> River just chasing, uh, chasing estuary perch. and oh, the uh, EPs, and... nice. Yeah, the EPs, yeah. So hopefully get some EPs and... You, and uh, I, I was yeah, up actually look. up your way last week. I was up your way last week, mate. I, I saw your, your home ground there, drove past it a few times. We were up with the with the Shimano boys and Mark took us out for uh, a little spin on the river and uh, managed a couple of nice flatties and a, a nice little dewy too. So it's a very nice part of the world. Great. Yeah, no, it's not a bad, not a bad place to call home. Absolutely. No, thanks very much, ET. Uh, loved having you on. Appreciate your time, mate. Good on you, boys. Yeah, great to talk to you, mate.